0: Well, when I was in high school, um, whenever I had to read a book, I tried to uh, pick one from the list. Usually, you know, the teacher gave you a list that you could pick from. I would always try to pick from the list uh, one that had a a study guide that you could buy called Cliff Notes. Have you you ever heard of Cliff's Notes? Yeah, you probably used them. Well, you may not know this, but, but Cliff's Notes was not the, not the original name. Um, it wasn't originally Cliff's. Uh, Cliff was a guy from Nebraska named Clifton uh, Hilgus. And in 1958, he was working in a Nebraska book company. And the owner, a man named Jack Cole, uh, published Cole's Notes uh, in Canada. And he got the similar idea, and he started publishing Cliff's Notes in, in America. And those have become an invaluable resource to college students that are looking for a concise overview or a summary of the, of the book that they, that they have to read. At least that's the, that's the good reason that you get them. I, sadly, I would tell you the reason I got it is so I didn't have to read the, the book to begin with. I really think that that's a good way to think about the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mark's notes are a concise study guide of the of the Gospel of Jesus Christ provided in summary form. It's short. It's to the point. It's quick. The key word is uh, immediately. And it's really like the foundation series that we were working through in... In the book of Genesis, he hits the high points, the, the, the theologically significant moments in, in Jesus' life. And he got the idea from Peter's notes. It was the Apostle Peter that um, Mark gets his information from. And it's, a, it's an invaluable resource to, to see the overview of, of the work of, of Jesus Christ. And as Mark has begun, has, has unfolded this, this, this gospel of the Son of God, he, he traces the high points of the work and ministry of Jesus, and he starts by, by showing that Jesus is the promised substitute who took Israel's place in, in John's call for repentance. He's the satisfying son in baptism, confirmed by the Father, anointed by the Spirit. He's the better Adam who, who in temptation successfully resisted Satan in the in the wilderness. And then he enters into Galilee and starts his ministry, and as the messianic king, he he issues a call to enter the kingdom by repentance and and, and faith. And what we've been seeing the last three messages is three. three passages that, that mark presents to us is that as the king jesus demonstrates that that authority he he has the right as the creator to to call us to follow him and and follow him with all of our lives he calls the disciples follow me and and we were created by god to serve him in in the beginning, Adam and Eve was was pla- they were placed in the garden with dominion, with specific tasks, and because of the fall, we've gone our own way and done our own thing. And so he demonstrates that that authority in in calling men to follow him. He demonstrates that authority in commanding the uh, the the angels or the demons to uh, to obey him, and he also has the ability to to reverse the curse or overcome the the consequences of the of the fall. And Mark is showing us the supernatural power of Jesus and the divine authority of Jesus as proof that he was exactly who he claimed to be. He was he was God, but he was also the the promised one. He calls and men obey, he casts out demons and they flee, he heals sickness that we're going to see today and in that he demonstrates his power over the physical world that was corrupted by the fall i mean think about it if jesus is going to be if he is the savior of the world then he has to be able to liberate souls from satan hence the the casting out of the the demons and if he's going to raise men and women from the dead he must have power over the curse. The curse specifically on the, on the body. Death and disease was not God's original plan. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't anywhere to be found in the garden. But immediately it enters after the fall. What's the very first scene? We were talking about this last week. The very first scene that, that is recorded in the Bible after the fall is not just an argument between brothers Cain and Abel, but what's the end result? Murder. That's how bad the fall was and death and disease comes by the fall and and he must exercise power he must have the ability to exercise power over the over the both the spiritual and the physical consequences of the fall and that's exactly where you find jesus and what he is doing in mark chapter one so if you're not there i want you to open your bibles to mark one and we're going to begin reading in verse 29 Mark chapter 1 in verse 29. Let's see what Mark has to say to us this morning. It says, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew, with James and John. But Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with fever, and they told him about her at, at once So he, that's Jesus, came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. He healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, he'd risen a long while before daylight, and he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, "'Everyone is looking for you.' But he said to them, "'Let us go to the next town, the next towns, that I may preach there also.'" Because for this purpose I have come. Jesus displays kingdom power over the physical realm in healing Peter's mother-in-law, and Mark gives us three confirmations of Christ's kingdom power in this in this passage. He, his restoration power is displayed over over sickness in verses 29 through through 30. His resurrection promise is declared in in healing in verses 31 through 34. And then his reigning priority is discharged in preaching when he leaves there and he says he must go to these other towns and preach because this is the reason, this is the purpose for which he has, has come. And we'll break that down and look at how God presents that to us this morning. And we start with his restoration power is displayed over sickness. Look, if you will, at verse 29. It says, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, that's on the same day, immediately they walk or they enter the house of Simon and Andrew, and James and John were, 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 were with Jesus and also with, with Simon and, and Andrew. Mark uh, says Jesus walks across the street and he enters into Peter's house and the the group that's that's with them in the synagogue, the disciples they they follow him. now it's uh, Peter's house is very close to the to the synagogue. You can actually see it see the synagogue from from Peter's door. There's a lot of places in Israel where they say uh, this is the place or we think this is the place but but actually Peter's house in in Capernaum is is, is probably the, probably the real deal. The, the, the foundation of the synagogue is there. The foundation of the house is there. And it's, it's, I mean, you can throw a rock from Peter's house to the, to the synagogue. And all that's right along the shore of, uh, of Galilee. And after the service, similar to what we would do, uh, they go for lunch and they enter into Peter's house. But immediately, whenever they come into the house, Uh, Jesus encounters a problem whenever he he arrives. Look, if you would, at verse 30 It says, but Simon's mother in law, wife's mother. That's evidence that Peter was was married, even though the Catholic Church says that he was the first pope and, and celibate. You can also find that over in in the book of Corinthians. His mother in law was sick and she was with a fever. Now, the word that's used there for fever is just a general word. It's, it's a sickness of some kind, but it's very serious. Luke tells us it's a, it's a mega fever. It's a high fever. It's a, she, she's very, very ill, and she's, she's laid on her back. She's laid down. And we're not told exactly what the illness was, but whatever it was, she, her body was fighting this, this infection or this virus, and she's incapacitated by it. And no sooner than Jesus comes into the house, Peter tells Jesus about the about the situation. I mean before they eat lunch, before they do anything else. I mean the idea here is as soon as they come to the house, he told they told him about her at once, verse thirty says. And I think we would do the same thing. I mean if you would have, if you would have been with Jesus and you would have just observed what took place in the synagogue with him. A commanding these demons and they they come out of the man exercising that spiritual authority and you know that somebody that you loved was was ill seriously ill you would have probably taken jesus to to her as well i mean when someone we love is is sick it it concerns us and it it changes the focus of the household and and, and this is uh, the lady of the house. We see that because when Jesus raises her, she immediately begins immediately begins to to serve. I mean, I can remember the first time whenever Tracy got sick, whenever baby uh, Bailey was was still a baby, and and I got a I, I got a taste of of how important my wife was, and I, my appreciation level went through the roof. I mean, I had to take care of this baby Bailey. From the time that, uh, I mean, immediately when he got up all through the day and had to bathe him and put him in, in, in bed at night. Now I helped in some of those things, but bearing that full responsibility, I want to tell you, I prayed fervently for my wife that, that day. I was never so happy the next morning whenever she got up and she felt, she felt better. I mean, when people we, we love are sick, it, it concerns us. And when when the people we love are really sick, it really concerns us. I mean, what parent has not had a sick child and at and at some point prayed for that child and then even uh, felt or told God, I wish I could take their place. I mean, there's just this this burden on the heart. Or an adult child watches their parents get sick and they they pray, they ask the Lord to intervene for mercy. That's exactly what Peter and Andrew are doing here. And Jesus restores this woman in a display of his power over the curse. Look if you would at verse 31, it says, So he came, took her by the hand, and lifted her up, raised her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. He comes to her. He takes her by the hand and he lifts her up. He raised her up. Luke says that she was so sick she was lying on her back and Jesus stands over her and simply lifts her up by the hand and the fever leaves her. Now, I think there's two very significant things to remember or not miss about about this this scene. First, that you, you should realize that healing was not the norm. It wasn't the norm in that day. It wasn't the norm prior to that day. And it's not the norm today. Whenever God chooses to heal, it is it is something that's abnormal. It's something that he chooses to do, and I'll show you exactly why he chooses to do that as we get further in the message. But you should remember when this takes place, healing is not the norm, and you should also remember what God wants us to understand Is that sickness is a result of the fall. Both of those two things should be in your mind. Healing is not the norm. And sickness, this fever that this woman has, is a result of the, of the fall. Supernatural healing was not a normal thing. Sickness was. And that sickness came because of, because of sin. I learned this this past week in, in studying. Did you know that the first healing recorded in the Bible wasn't until about 2,000 years after creation? I didn't know that. It wasn't up until Abimelech in Genesis 20. There's, there's no healing recorded in the Bible up to that point. There's no healings before that. And you remember Abraham lies about Sarah, and Abimelech is going to take her as his wife. And God comes to him in a dream, and he asks Abraham to pray for him, and it says that when Abraham prayed, God healed Abimelech and healed the rest of his family. He uses that term. And it didn't, uh, nothing, no healings recorded uh, uh, prior to that. And I didn't add this up, but MacArthur pointed out that from Genesis 20 to Isaiah, another 1,500 years after that, there's only about 20 miraculous interventions by God in the Old Testament that resulted in healing. Now, of course, God is intervening all over the place in the Old Testament. There's only about 20, he says, that, that result in, in healing. That's about 20 healings over hundreds and hundreds of years. Millions and millions of people being born, millions and millions of people getting sick, and millions and millions of people Dying, he wanted them to say if that if you go from Isaiah to Christ about another seven hundred and fifty years, there are no healings recorded in Scripture, not one. So two thousand years after creation, the first one from that two thousand years, another fifteen hundred years up to Isaiah, there's about twenty, and from Isaiah to Christ, there's none recorded in the Scripture. Now, could God have healed? Sure, but there's none recorded. In the scriptures. And during that period of time, the curse of the fall reigns. Sickness and disease were everywhere. People were dying from it. I mean, we're very blessed today to have the medical care and the advances that, that we have. That's common grace. That's God's common grace. But people still get sick and people still die. That's why whenever Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to heal, people respond with Shock. Just like they responded with shock whenever the demons obeyed. Because the, the people that pretended to cast out demons didn't have that same kind of, of, of ability. It's also why the people are flocking to Jesus whenever there's a legitimate healing that, that takes place, but was not the norm. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, He shows His power over sin's curse, and He heals many. There's about 90 passages in the Gospels that record Jesus' healing. And he does that because he has the power to restore creation from the fall. Now, I also want you to notice how Jesus heals this woman. Look, if you would, at verse 31. He came, he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and immediately the, the fever left her. What's the difference between that and how... He calls the disciples and how he commands the demons. He exercises his authority in both of those by his voice, by his command. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, and they obey. Be silent and come out of him, and the demons obey. There's no record here of Jesus speaking or saying anything. He heals this woman physically by touching her, and she's restored. What's the significance of that? Exorcism or calling men to follow is primarily spiritual. It's a submission of the heart. But healing is, is physical. The Bible tells us that we're body, soul, and, and spirit. And Jesus, Mark, is showing us, putting these scenes together, that Jesus has both authority and power over all. He has the authority to command us is the authority for us to, to to obey his command. And he also has the power to heal the physical results of the of the curse. Healing is a demonstration of that power. And the other is a declaration of his, of his authority. I mean think about it. Men and demons are in rebellion. They have wills. So so Jesus commands them with his voice and they submit to his authority. Sickness has no will, it has no personality, and so his power is used. restore and he says nothing he just takes her by the hand he lifts her up and immediately the infection or the virus or whatever it was and the fever was gone including the symptoms now that's some kind of some kind of power we have physicians in here this morning we have people training to be physicians in here this morning and and the heart of a doctor is that they want to help their patients they take an oath to do good unto their patients. They desire, and I'm, and I'm sure that just like from a, from a pastoral standpoint, when I'm counseling people or wanting to share the word with people, I know the, the consequences that come from sin in life, I've experienced them. I, I long for those consequences to be removed. And for a physician, I'm sure they long to be able to, to see the physical consequences from sickness or disease removed. But they don't have the power to do that. Their power is limited. And yet Jesus here has all power. And he immediately raises this woman up and the symptoms are gone. And that power actually points to a promise that's even greater. His restoration power is displayed over sickness. And his resurrection promise is declared in her healing. This scene, although the resurrection is never mentioned, this scene has the shadow of the resurrection cast all over it. After healing, look at what it says. Immediately the fever left her, and she served them. It says immediately she begins to serve. Now, if you ever had the flu or something worse, you know that whenever a fever breaks... You don't immediately feel like doing anything, do you? I mean, you need time to recuperate. You need time for your body to get back to normal. But that's not the case whenever Jesus heals. It's immediate. And this woman is made whole. And she is raised up to serve the people there that's in the house. And the word serving here would have the idea that, that she would be serving the Sabbath meal. Um, I joked last week about uh, Tracy and Olivia not being around. Some of you asked me, you know, uh, so what did you eat since you didn't put the roast in? Uh, we, we went to Kentucky Fried Chicken, and we got chicken and biscuits. I mean, this this lady doesn't have Kroger's to go to and get a rotisserie chicken. I mean, she doesn't even have a stove to cook on. It's the since it's the Sabbath, and since she's been sick, she hasn't prepared anything. They would have prepared their food prior to the Sabbath so they don't have to do a lot of work on on sabbath day and she gets up and immediately starts serving so what's the point this is a situational power that points to a future promise everything that is recorded here in mark points to christ's ability and what he will ultimately accomplish in his death burial and and resurrection I mean, he issues the call to follow me to the men who would be his disciples. And as king, they they obey him. He issues the command to be silent to the demons. and, And as God, he has absolute authority. And they submit to him. And now Jesus displays his power here. And it shows that he has the ability to remove the curse. But it also points to the promise of the resurrection. That won't just be for the woman or the individual that Jesus heals, but for all who will, who will follow him. As the resurrected Lord, he will, he'll do that permanently for you and and for me in the future. Jesus has the power to restore flesh now to those he heals, but he promises to do it for all of his followers in the, in the resurrection. And this is evidence that he can do that. Jesus declares that all who place their trust in him will be raised up on the last day, and he will lose none of them. Isn't that a blessed promise? I mean, in the resurrection, you will receive a new body, free from sin's curse and the fall. The body that we have now is made for earth, and it's made from earth. It's in the likeness of Adam. But the resurrected body will be a spiritual body made in the likeness of the of the Lord. And it will be free from any imperfection. And the healing that Jesus does here is, is earthly. It's temporary. And it's also situational. It happens on the earth. It's a temporary healing. This woman's going to die even though she's raised up. And it's situational. He doesn't heal everyone. But the resurrection is eternal. The healing that comes through the resurrection is permanent and it's guaranteed. And in both those cases, whether Jesus heals now with this woman or whether Jesus raises you from the dead, both of those circumstances are for serving Him. I mean, why does God choose to heal? Why does He choose to heal some in the New Testament? Why does he choose to heal some today and not others? Why does he promise to raise this these vile bodies from the from the grave? Whether he heals now or whether he does it in the future is for for service. I mean, think about it. In this life, you're going to you're going to have sickness and you're going to have disease. And God may choose to exercise his power over that prior to the resurrection. It's not a promise. Resurrection is a promise, but he could do it prior. And if he does, it's so we can serve him better in proclaiming that future promise. I mean, Peter's mother-in-law's healing served Christ by displaying his power. It also served Christ by feeding feeding him on the Sabbath. I mean, the promise is that you will be healed, but God's choice of when... To do it is, is totally up to Him, and it's determined by how best we can, how best we can serve Him. I mean, if Jesus heals you now, why would He heal you? It's, it's so you can serve Him better in this life. If He doesn't heal you, it's so you can serve Him in your sickness. Do you remember the man born blind in, uh, blind in John chapter 9? It's a, it's a fascinating story. The Bible declares that he was born blind so that the glory of God could be displayed. Now, I would say if I was that man born blind, I probably may not understand that. I may not even like that. But I promise you that that man who's in heaven today doesn't care that he spent how many years it was born blind in his sickness. All he cares about was that he was used by Christ to, to put Jesus on display. And we may not enjoy the, the sickness and the disease that comes in our life. We may plead with God to remove it. And sometimes God will. But if he doesn't, it's ultimately so that we can serve him in the midst of that. Think about the Apostle Paul. Was there anybody in the Bible that you could come up with that, that was a greater servant than the, uh, than the Apostle Paul? I mean, you think about Paul. He's a go-getter. He's doing not one, two, three missionary journeys. He says his life is poured out as a drink offering. And the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh that he prayed how many times for God to remove it? Three times, and God didn't remove it. Do you remember what the Bible says about why God didn't remove it? It was so that Paul could be an example for us that God's grace is sufficient in that sickness. He's serving him there. He's serving God. His sickness, that thorn in the flesh, was serving Paul so Paul could experience the grace of God that was sufficient for him. And Paul's sickness is serving us today, isn't it? It's to show us that God's grace is sufficient. And when Jesus healed the masses, it was to serve as a testimony. And if he doesn't heal, it's not because he lacks compassion or because you lack faith as the as the nonsense faith healers say. It's because not healing would bring a greater opportunity for, for service. Now I've told you about Theta Lewis many, many times. And Lord willing, until I die, I'll be telling people about Theda Lewis because of the impact that woman had on, on my life. And part of the impact wasn't what she said, it was how she lived. And here was a woman that had nothing. She was dying. She had cancer. She took chemo. But she was full of joy. And I had everything that the world supposedly promised would bring happiness. And I wasn't. She affected me. And she affected me. God used her. She served the Lord through the sickness that she had. That had an impact on my life. It was perplexing to me as an unsaved man. I didn't understand how this woman could be that way. I thought she was different and, and even strange in a certain way. But even after I came to Christ, Theda ultimately succumbed to cancer and died. She made it up to her 50th wedding anniversary. That was a, a goal and a desire she had. And even after I came to Christ... She served the Lord and served me in her sickness. I've told you this story before. She would schedule her chemo on Mondays and on Thursdays. She would schedule her chemo on Monday because it took her two or three days to get back on her feet so she could come to church on Wednesday night. And she would schedule it on Thursday so she could be back on her feet to come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And I can remember standing up in praise note time giving testimony. And she would stand up with tears in her eyes and praise God for her cancer. Now, unless you think that that's, um, you know, she's putting on a show or spiritual, I want to tell you it was the real deal. And in that testimony, she would say, Up until I, I was diagnosed with cancer, I was a believer and I lived for the Lord, but I did not feel the presence of the Lord. I didn't understand the intimacy that, that was available to me with, with God. She said, it wasn't until I got sick that I really, really got to know, got to know the Lord. And I would just stand there and listen to her in, in awe. And she prayed, I prayed. The church prayed. We anointed her. We did everything. We pleaded with the Lord to remove that sickness. But he didn't. Why? Because she was of greater service than to the lord and that sickness was of greater service to her heart not being healed but i want to tell you the lewis is healed today she's in heaven with the lord and one day she'll be resurrected do you remember uh mr hobbs you remember mr hobbs that came here and gave testimony to us he was the parent of a tcs student and mr Ta- mr hobbs had uh was diagnosed with a with a terminal disease and he came here and he shared his testimony and his sermon was about uh everyone has a t on their forehead which means terminal he said just for me that that t started to flash and he says we're all terminal i just have the blessing of knowing that it's coming sooner rather than later everybody in here is going to die unless the lord comes now, if you knew that you were going to die today or tomorrow, would that change the way in which you lived? Mr. Hobbes gave testimony right here in this pulpit and said he's been able to witness to, to more people for Christ since his sickness than all of the years combined prior to that. Why? Because he understood and, and he experienced the Lord in a different way and he knew his time was short. If your sickness remains, it's so you can be used by God. If God doesn't heal, it's so you can be used by God. If He does heal, it's so that you can be used by God. God has the power to do it now, but He doesn't always choose to. And the promise for us is that He will, for all of us, in the future resurrection. And proclaiming that, proclaiming that message and proclaiming that promise is exactly why he came. The reigning priority of Christ is discharged in preaching. Look at verse thirty two. It says that evening when the when the sun had set they brought all to him who were sick and who were demon-possessed. That's like a summary statement. He's just shown us the, the authority of Christ over the demons in the synagogue. He's shown us the power of Christ in, over the curse in healing. And now they're bringing everyone, both the spiritually oppressed and the physically sick, to Jesus. Verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he didn't allow the demons to to speak. Now I want you to note here that, that those two things are treated separately. He healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. There are people who believe that all sickness is caused by a demon. And that's not the case. Jesus is healing those who are sick and he's taking authority over the Over the demons. And he doesn't allow their testimony because they knew exactly who he was. Look at verse 35. Now, in the morning, the following morning, Jesus gets up before dark, before daylight, while it's still dark, having risen long before daylight. He goes out of the house. He even goes out of Capernaum, he goes out of the city to a solitary place, a deserted place, literally. And there he prayed. You know where Jesus' power came from. Even the Son of God goes and fellowships with the Father and seeks Him in prayer. And you're not going to find any fellowship with the Father or any power from God apart from spending time alone with Him in a solitary place and praying. Now look at verse 36. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They get up, Jesus is nowhere to be found, and they look around, and, and when they found Him, They said to him, everyone is looking for you. Where have you been? And look at what Jesus says in verse 38. But he said to them, not, okay, let me go find them and heal some more. Let me go find the ones that have demons and cast them out. He said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose I have come. Notice he says that I may preach there also. He doesn't say preach there and heal sick and cast out demons. He focuses on the preaching that he's done in Galilee. And he says that we've got to go to the other towns, or to Capernaum. We've got to go to the other towns because this is the primary reason, the priority for which I've come is to proclaim the gospel. And the reigning priority of Christ's ministry is not healing, not casting out demons it's preaching it's declaring who he was and what he's able to do and who you are and how you stand before God and what God is able to do if you'll repent and believe that is the ministry of Jesus everything else are, are stage props the healings and the and the casting out the demons and the the parables and all of that is is to prop up is to point to The primary ministry of Christ, which is proclaiming the gospel, the good news. It's news. It's proclaimed. And they find him and say, everyone is looking for you. Now, I want you to notice two things out of this this last section. One, I want you to notice what everyone wanted. Why are they looking for him? And I also want you to notice where Jesus places the priority, which is on preaching. Preaching. Mark says, everyone is looking for you. Why were they looking for Jesus? To hear another sermon? (laughs) It wasn't to hear him preach, but it was to receive his healings. Verse 34 says, "He, he healed everyone. He healed many and he cast out demons. The masses were searching for him to receive the gift, not listen to the giver. You remember Jesus often rebuking the crowds? I mean, in one sense, he feeds the hungry that show up to hear his sermons. And he doesn't want to send them away hungry, so, so he feeds them miraculously. And in other times, whenever they show up, he says, you're just looking for bread to fill your bellies, and you need to be seeking the bread that will fill your, your souls. I have on my wall a, um, uh, not a chalk drawing, it's a, it's a pencil drawing that I, I bought years ago. Tracy got it framed for me. I don't remember if it was my birthday or Christmas or whatever it was. But it's the scene of the ten lepers in the Gospel of Luke. And you see Jesus in this uh, Palestinian town. And there's a building there behind him. And he's standing. And as he's standing there, there's this man on, on his knees with his head as low as he can get in the dirt bowing before Jesus and you see the disciples standing around Jesus and you don't notice when you first look at the picture but if you look off in the distance the road kind of trails out through the you know through the hillside there and way in the distance there are nine lepers with their hands up in the air praising and you remember the story Jesus heals all 10 but only one returns to give glory to god and the verse at the bottom of that of that drawing says we're not ten healed and yet only this man comes back and gave glory to god i have that to remind me not to be one of the nine lepers that just thank god for what he could do for me but i want to be that one leper who worships christ and give glory to god nothing's different today I found this interesting uh, quote. If you offered people in our society today physical perfection, physical health, and physical wholeness, or spiritual salvation, what do you think that they would take? Nine out of ten of them would would take the physical. That's why they're seeking Him. But look at what Jesus says is the priority in verse 38 that I may preach there because for this purpose I've come. This is why I've come. I mean, think about that statement. Preaching? I mean, between taking authority over demons and demonstrating His power over physical disease, Jesus says out of all of those events, preaching is the priority. You know why? Because it is preaching that saves souls. It's preaching that points souls to God. And the miracles only verify the truthfulness of His message. There's no salvation in miracles. Salvation comes through believing His message. And the greatest miracle, the greatest healing that God could ever do for anyone is to save your soul. Because the arm that's made whole or the body that is healed will still perish one day. But the soul that is turned to Christ doesn't perish; it goes to be with God and in heaven. One of the first songs that I learned to sing within the first, you know, ten was a song I can't even remember. And as soon as I say this, somebody will be faithful to remind me who the author was. "Wilt thou be made whole?" Remember that song? "Wilt thou be made whole?" You want a new life? It's a picture of Jesus at the pool of Bethesda. Would you like to be made whole today? If I could promise you physical healing or to have your soul saved, which would you choose? I can't promise you physical healing. I can't promise you that if you turn to Christ and you believe the words of the Bible, that He's going to make all of your sicknesses and aches and pains and diseases go away right now. But what I can promise you is that if you'll turn to Jesus Christ, He'll forgive your sins. He'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And I can promise you that one day, whenever you go into the grave, regardless of how you go in, that your body's going to come out one day because Jesus promised the resurrection from the dead for those who believe In His name. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to close with this. It's Christmas time, and I was reminded of this several weeks ago, and I think it's it's a fitting story to close. The Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem um, is unique. It's unique because it wasn't destroyed by Muslim invaders whenever they came in. you know why? Because there's some mosaics in that church, and they destroyed all the others. They defaced all the other churches, but it's one of the oldest, and it still has some of the original mosaics from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And the reason is, is whenever you walk into that church, that church, the church in Bethlehem, highlighted the magi. And the magi were from the east. And they looked very much like the Muslims that were coming in. The color of their skin, their facial features. And so they said, this must be a special place. We don't even understand what this is, but we will not destroy this church. The entrance to the door is, is, is interesting the entrance to the to the door of the Church of the Nativity is a door inside of a door. You can see a larger frame, and then you can see a smaller frame, and then there's a door inside of it. But it is a really, really small door. When you first walk up to it, you think it's like it's like a hobbit door. I mean, it is super small. The purpose was twofold. One, they bricked it up and put that really small door in there so invaders... Couldn't enter with ease. They couldn't throw the doors open and ride their horses in. But the other purpose was whenever you go into the church of the Nativity, the door, the, the threshold's about this high, you have to bow coming in the church. So everyone that comes in the door bows before the Lord. You enter the church bowing, and there's no other way to get in the church other than through that through that door. And I'd say to you, the kingdom is the same way. There is one door and you enter through that door bowing in humility to the one that invites you to come and there is no other way. You'll not come in standing upright. You'll not come in with a handful of your works or anything else. You will come in on your face before the cross and when you look up, When you see the Lord there, you'll realize that He's already paid it all. And He promises anyone who will bow before Him in repentance and faith, He'll say, will you be made whole? Jesus will make you whole. He won't make you whole physically, but He will spiritually. Why don't you bear your heads with me? Kingdom.